ended right at verse 28 last week. Uh, so uh, let's pick it up again. Uh, since verse 18, Paul has been focusing on the importance of suffering in the Christian life, that you can't really grow spiritually without suffering. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it that way. You don't grow without suffering, and God brings the suffering into us that is appropriate to our lives. And sometimes we don't even realize it's suffering, but it is. Are you with me here? That's that's the way I'd like to suffer most of my life. I'd like to suffer that way. <clears throat> but as my favorite professor said one time, he said this woman was carrying on after the sermon where her, her, her pastor had been talking about suffering. And she said, uh, I, how did she say it? Uh, I, I just suffer so much. And the pastor said, now, sister, you ought not to carry on like that. And she said, when the Lord sends me tribulation, he intends me to tribulate, doesn't he? And so, so I have been, I have the spirit, I, I have spiritual gift of tribulating. <laughs> so there are, there are, there are lots of times in my life, I can remember hard times I couldn't understand things, many of them things I didn't even bring on myself. And why, Lord, are you doing these things? And I've lived long enough to see for most of them some result. Uh, but there are those events in your life you just puzzle about why is this happening? Yeah. Uh, so what our text is saying is it has a purpose. I, I may be jumping ahead to what you're... But if, if, if one were to teach you that, yeah. could an analogy be made with uh, John 15 with the vine... Uh, and, and, oh golly! And, and bearing fruit. Yeah. As as I think about John fifteen, I think of it in different terms, mm-hmm. and I and so I, I I don't know maybe, but I hadn't I hadn't thought of it in those ways, okay. and so um, I'm sorry I'm I'm behind what I need to be doing here. Uh, Romans oh fish feathers. This cup. Uh, here it is. Okay, and I'm way down in the list down here. about there now um, so in this passage that focuses on suffering I, he wants us to understand that that the, the great goal of it is sharing in the glory of God mm-hmm. um, we looked at a passage I think in John 17 last week where Jesus says Glorify them with the glory that you gave me before the foundation of the world. And if that's what's ahead, I, I can't even imagine the glory of Jesus. I can't imagine the glory of Jesus in the transfiguration. You know, how can I imagine the glory of Jesus in in the full revelation of his deity? I, I just can't even, even imagine that. But he affirms that we're going to share that in some sense. I, I, I wish we knew more about it. Perhaps I'm glad we don't. Um, but but the, the large issue is that we're going to be glorified. And he doesn't describe it directly, as we've said. He does it indirectly uh, by, refer, reference, by referencing um, what's groaning. And, and as we saw in 18 and following, the, the, the earth is groaning. The, the, the creation is groaning, longing for us to be revealed as the children of God. We groan as well. Uh, and of all things, the Holy Spirit groans. Uh, so if he's groaning, longing for us to be re- uh, 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 revealed as the children of God, what is the glory that's awaiting us? 
Um, it, it, it must be astonishing. In some sense, it must be something that we can't now value um, because we don't have a scale by which to value it. Am I making sense? Uh, but, yeah, we can't comprehend it. Uh, so, he says then in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good. Well, what are the all things then that work together for good? All things. Yeah. Just every little thing. You, you prick your finger when you were a kid on a thorn bush. No, I, but I, I think uh, Sid Campbell said one time, he said, uh, uh, he's either sovereign or he ain't. Yeah. But the point in the context is all things is all sufferings. Are you with me here? So there is no suffering that that we will undergo whatever it is, whatever the cause, including suffering for our own sin, yes, mm-hmm. that does not work to produce the image of Christ in us. That that's astonishing. It is. Um now, one of two things is in view here in terms of God's dealing with our suffering. He's running around. One, one option is to think about him running around trying to turn our troubles into Christ-likeness. He's, he's oh my gosh, uh, Terry is over there doing that. I've got I to gotta turn that to, to good for him. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I... I'm a little bit late. Of course, that the way I'm presenting it, you know that's that's wrong. Or the other side, the other possibility is that he's planned all these things. Uh, is God wise? How would you define wisdom? It's a hard thing to do. Practicing what we know. Yeah, well, yeah, but God knows everything, so He. Pardon? Knowing and doing what is right. Okay, but God does that by nature. So, so what would what would wisdom be for Him? Four dollars. Pardon? His nature. It's His nature. Yeah. Four dollars. Well, yeah, wisdom will be make at, at least in in the point of in the present in our present discussion. When I'm thinking about God, he has every possible option available to him. Yes? So why why do the these options come to pass? Because he has a plan. And a wise plan will will include um, accounting for every possible hindrance to the accomplishment of the plan. Would you grant that? Um, as if I had any training in in war making, but here we've got one who has. In in theory, if you're able to mitigate a hundred percent of the risks that you can identify, you'd be hundred percent successful. That's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So when you're making a battle plan, you want to know what all the risks that you will face that your, your, your unit's going to face, mm-hmm. and you want to mitigate them, as you say. Uh, and if you can, then you're virtually guaranteed of success. Mm-hmm. Are there any risks that God doesn't know about? It's no. Are there things that would obs- oppose God's plan, obstruct God plan, God's plan, that would if he were not in control? Is there anyone who's trying to to Satan, bollocks yeah. up God? Yes, yeah, Satan is. Absolutely. And all of Satan's servants. Mm-hmm. Has he included them in his plan? Yes. yes. Then there is nothing that can happen to you that's outside the plan of God, including the attack of Satan mm-hmm. or his demons or his human agents. <laughs> yes? Um, then you are guaranteed that any of those things that should come to you will produce the likeness of Christ in you. How does that that work? What is it that God did 
to be able to do this. Well, you can say, well, you just sovereignly did it. Um, but he's not running around cleaning up. He's not getting <laughs> he's not getting reports from the uh, left side of the of the forward line saying, oh gosh, they're doing this and it's not in the plan. What do we do? He he knew he knows. It's almost like Job is a classic example of this. Right? Tell tell me what you mean. Yeah. What 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 are you thinking about? Which is an example of, of how Satan's actions were part of God's plan mm-hmm. from the beginning anyway. In Job chapter one, thank you for bringing that up. Now you get a different sermon here for a moment. <laughs> in, in Job chapter one, what is Satan doing among the sons of God? Assuming that it's Satan, by the way, the Hebrew text it's 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 a yeah, it's an adjective. It's not a noun, uh, and it's certainly not a proper name because it has a definite article in Hebrew names. Only the, on the rarest occasions have have definite articles. So it's the accuser, probably. What what's he doing among the sons of God? Even if it is Satan, accusing them before God. Yeah, but he has he has. You, you see, that's who 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 starts the conversation. God does. does. Uh, So Satan, even if it is Satan, still must give an account of his actions to God. Yes? So if if, if it is Satan, then he's there giving an account of his actions, and that's what God says. Where have you come from? And he says, and it's it's not, I, I used to think that it was kind of a trivializing answer. I've been doing this and that is is the way I read it for years. I finally realized, folks, in in biblical narrative and indeed in in all good narrative, uh, the author puts only in the narrative what is necessary for understanding it. So when he says from uh, roaming to and fro on the earth and going back and forth in it, he's he's giving a summary without the detail because the detail is not relevant to the story. Um, how does Job get into the conversation? God. God brought him up. God suggests to Satan. Yeah. Well, yeah. He he brings him up as a. He says, "Have you considered Job?" Yeah. He brings him up as a matter of conversation. Does he not know what this person is thinking about Job? Of course he does. Then, if he knows, why does he bring him up? Because he knows. God knows that in the ad, in, in the adversary in the accuser how, however you read that word has satan or satan he knows that in the mind of that being there is a a um, a deeper thought that must be surfaced and must be proven false and that deeper thought is god is not worthy of worship if he doesn't buy it He doesn't what? buy the worship. B U Y. Purchase it. If God didn't bless Job, he wouldn't he wouldn't serve him. And he he brings it up second time, as you know, in Leviticus uh, in Leviticus, Job two. Um have you considered my servant Job? Because he's not gotten to the root of the problem. Um the the adversary, the accuser, Satan, whatever we're to make of that name uh, or that word, thinks there's a price that you have not allowed me to to extract from Job. Remember in Job one, if you you, you can you can take everything that he has, but you can't lay your hand on him. N- now, the adversary says, but you haven't found his price. Afflict him, and he will curse you to your face. And God says he's in your hand, but just don't take his life. Mm-hmm. From Job's point of view, that's not good news. In Job three and four, in 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 Job three, I've forgotten how far it goes. In Job three, Job says, "Why was my birthday even in the year?" I wish it had fallen out of the calendar so that I would never have been born. And since I was born, why wasn't I still born? 
or why didn't somebody kill me at birth? Then I wouldn't have to face all the sorrow. What sorrow is he talking about? The loss of the family, loss of possession. Yeah. He's just been through. What he's been through in the last few weeks. 60, he's probably at least 60 in the story. Uh, He has 10 children, uh, seven sons and three daughters. The seven sons are all old enough to be married and have their own homes, which suggests that, um, assuming no uh, multiple births, then they would have to be at least seven years after marriage, and he's probably about 30 when he married, and that puts him in the neighborhood of 40, but the youngest of his, all the sons, all seven sons, have to be old enough to have their own homes, so that puts him in the neighborhood of 60 when this story starts. And a few weeks of suffering like this are not worth 60 years of the blessing of God. So he's getting really close. So since since nobody killed me at birth, why can't I just die now? I just want to be rid of this. This is so miserable. You, you follow this? Uh, did God know that's, that that's what the adversary would do to Job? Yeah. Then why did he do it? Because he has, he has a goal. The primary goal in the book of Job is to demonstrate that God is worthy of worship even if he doesn't bless or worse. If he blesses consistently for years and then takes it away suddenly, he's still worthy of worship. Amen. Do you see that in the text there? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, Ephesians, I told light on that. Ephesians 2 says that he raised us up with him and seated us in him in heavenly places so that yeah. in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us yeah, in Christ Jesus. Exactly. And then in the next chapter, he says, uh, that talking about the mystery hidden in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places Mm -hmm. this according to his eternal purpose Mm -hmm. it's that it just Satan cannot stand before God and say it wasn't worth it any of this he says no let me show you here that's right this optical exactly so the point is that God has made a plan that has accounted for all contingencies that might arise, and that plan will surely be worked out because he's wise. He's infinitely wise. He chooses the best possible goals and the best possible means to achieve those goals. Would you grant that? Is that what wisdom is? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking, Harlan? Well, I'm just concentrating on what yeah. you're saying. Just trying to put it all together. So what Paul's going to do in verses 29 and 30 is unfold the plan of God with reference to our suffering. But Jim, it's hard for me to affirm that. I know. It's hard for me to affirm this is best. This is right. That's hard for me. That's why Paul says, uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered in the heart of, of of man the things that God has plan for those uh, who fear him. That's why he says uh, here, uh, uh, how does he say it? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We know enough. He's give, God has given us enough to know that the glory that awaits us is such that it will be worthwhile. Did you play sports at all in high school? What did you play? Play football. Okay. Uh, good. <laughs> well, <laughs> summer drills, yeah. I suspect, were not your favorite thing. Um, why? Where, where'd you grow up? Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay, okay. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. Um, but, but when you won the games, was it worth it? Well, if it's worth it in a football contest, I, I, I never played sports. Um, uh, I dribbled, but it was with my <laughs> mouth. 
I played in, played music. Played in the Oklahoma City Junior Symphony, and we rehearsed from one to four every Saturday afternoon. Every Saturday afternoon in the school year. Saturday afternoon. Last place I wanted to be was down there at I forgot what we called that uh, uh, auditorium where we rehearsed. Um, that was the last place I wanted to be. And I was a Boy Scout, and I had to come back from campouts on Saturday morning so I could be there for rehearsal on Saturday afternoon. Um, Do we dare ask what you played? I played viola. Okay. Um, it's the red-haired stepsister among the, the instruments of the orchestra. Um, the middle child. You, well, <laughs> you know why people like violas better than violins? They're bigger? They burn longer. <laughs> uh, do you know what, what they call two violas, one playing B-flat and the other one playing B-natural? No. They're playing in unison. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you know how to get? Do you know what spiccato means? Is it making your bow bounce on the string? You know how to get a violist to play spiccato. Give him a whole note and mark it solo. <laughs> He'll be so nervous that. <laughs> so, so, um, so I, you know, I, it it paid off, uh, honestly, but. Uh, the, the point is, guys, this, this, we're not in a position to say what this is really worth. What we're doing is, I, I'm, I'm preparing for Sunday morning in Colossians. And if I may, I'm going to go back to that PowerPoint that was up just a minute ago. Uh, Colossians. Yeah. <clears throat> In Colossians chapter 1, uh, Paul's prayer, oh, that's too late. Um, that's too early. Well, this doesn't have the prayer. Where did it go? Oh, great. I know I saved it. Well, fish feathers. Um, well, I'll have to look at it later. But turn to Colossians 1. I can do it this way. Uh, in Colossians 1, verse 9, or thereabouts, let's see, where is it exactly? Yeah, 9. For this reason, we also, from the day that we heard, do not cease praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What we're doing in Bible study is trying to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. Um, and, and, and we are asking that... I'm sorry, we, you know, spiritual understanding. Verse 10, to walk. Do you have to walk? What do you have? So may walk. That, that you may walk. Notice that you may walk. This is the result. What? How am I going to live wisely in the world? Well, I've got to have wisdom and spiritual understanding to walk worthily of the Lord for all, for all in, in every way to please him in every good work, bearing fruit and, and growing in the knowledge of God and in, in, uh, being strengthened with all power. Folks, you can't face life as a Christian without knowledge of the person of God and his plan, and you are not going to be enabled, notice verse 11, with all power being strengthened according to his glorious power <laughs> for all endurance and long-suffering. What do you endure? What kinds of events do you endure? Hardships, yeah. Summer drills. <laughs> Saturday afternoon con uh, 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 
orchestra con uh, uh, practice. Are you with me? Um, the things that you don't like. But I have to know, going back to verse uh, 10, I'm sorry, verse uh, 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Being, um, um, how did he add that? Uh, uh, becoming fruitful and growing in the understanding of God, in the knowledge of God. You see the point here? What we're doing in Bible study is getting the mind of God. The, the, the effect of this and the result is that when these things happen, I have to come back to the things that I've learned. I never doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light, Howard Hendricks used to say. Um, the darkness makes the light seem distant. The light seems to pass quickly. The darkness seems to stay. Yes? Am I right? right? So, in the darkness, you will need to return in your mind to these things. They must become part of your mental equipment so that you can say, but Father, you said you were going to enable me. And notice how, how often he says this in Philippians 1 about um, power three times in a very brief space there in verse I think it's verse 11 I've, I've already closed that that passage in my Bible um, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power yeah strengthened with all might according to his glorious power <laughs> we have all the resources we need to survive whatever God brings into our lives in the context of Colossians, uh, it will be certainly persecution. Maybe in ours too, and we've talked about this. I don't want to belabor that again. But the, but how am I going to survive? Here I am. I'll be, I'm less than a month from 75. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I really never thought I'd live past 60. Um, but uh, the men in my family all died before 60, so. Uh, I, I got the Sloan side. I didn't get the uh, almond side of my family. The, the, the point is, though, that, that as old age approaches, yeah, and, and all the debilitating effects of old age, if we are called to go through that, we have the ability to do it because God is strengthening us to be able to endure these things. Do you follow? With long-suffering. And I noticed, do you notice that the word long-suffering is there? Long-suffering means that you're putting up with hardships for a long time. So, so I can't survive unless I understand something of the plan of God and, and the resources God has given to us. What we're going to get in verses 29 and 30 and 31 is the plan, how he's worked this out. So let's let's turn there, verse twenty nine. Because whom he foreknew, yes, sir. You know, Jim. Uh, verse uh, twenty one about creation. It says the creation. Yeah. Free from its bondage to corruption. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Uh -huh. You're going to be seventy five, but we all. One of the things is our bondage to corruption that our mm -hmm. bodies break. That That's right. Our, Hair turns loose or turns white, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it uh, and creation is longing to be that's right. that, and we long to be uh -huh. that. So, what is the gl glory that's awaiting us? It is so great that the whole creation is groaning for you to be revealed. That the Holy Spirit is groaning for you to be revealed as the children of God. Yeah. Then, without knowing the detail. Paul thinks that we should see this as an argument that says it's worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, and whom he uh, predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So here's the plan. This is the way it's worked out. We've got problems here, yes? 
Um, so what are we going to do with these terms? Five terms that we've got to deal with, really just three. Um, the first three are the, are the problematic ones for most of us, uh, if, if they're problems at all. Foreknowledge, predestination, uh, I guess it's uh, four terms, isn't it? Uh, justification and, glorif- and, uh, and glorification. So these, these basic terms, what, what do they mean? People will say, foreknowledge, well, that means looking down through the corridors of time and seeing uh, that, you, that I would believe and so God uh, foreknew me as a believer. Um, but, but that fails, that, that interpretation fails. The word doesn't appear very much in the Bible at all. In the Old Testament, Greek Old Testament, it only occurs twice in Judith and once in the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> so, but, but it turns out that the usage that we have in the New Testament is perfectly consistent with those three references. Um, let's see, let me see which one here. Uh, in Acts 2.23, um, this one, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, hectotosna, um, uh, oh, uh, condemned through the hands of, of lawless men, you destroyed, nailing him to the cross. Jesus was foreknown. God looked down through the corridors of time and saw, oh, there's Jesus there. He's a, he's a good person, and people hate him. And so I see that he's going to be crucified. Is that what Acts 2.23 is trying to say? No. I, you, 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 there, there is at least one place, and at this point I can't remember where it is. Um, he, is the, he is the Son of God crucified from the for, foundation of the world. Uh, so what does foreknowledge mean there? Uh, let's go, and, and, and notice it's a, a person who's foreknown in Acts 2.23, not an event that's foreknown. Yes, uh, Acts twenty six five, and this is probably the most important one. Acts Acts twenty six five. Um, Paul is before the uh, the uh, oh, what's this? The guy's name, um, the ruler in in uh, what is now Joppa. Um, or what was then Joppa? No, that 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 was that was bef- this is before that. This is when the Jews are down there accusing him before the the governor. Uh, why is this? Oh yeah, yeah. What are you seeing? Okay, that's that's good enough. That'll work for the present. Festus uh, could be Festus. I don't. I, it's hard for me to remember who it was. Um, Let's see. Let's move on here. Um, in Acts 26.5, he says to the, the rulers, it, it may be, it's, it's, it's when the uh, visiting dignitary had come. To Agrippa. Agrippa, yeah. Um, he says to them, what, what does your text say, verse 26.5? They knew me from the first. Yeah, this is our word... No, did, did they? They looked up uh, uh, into the future and saw that that Paul was denying Judaism and preaching Jesus, and so that. What, what does it mean? They knew me from the first. They watched him grow up. Yeah. Well, it, 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 to, to know a person is different from knowing a thing, isn't it? Yes. I know that two plus two equals four. I know Chago. Are they are they identical statements? Both are true. Yeah, they're both true, but are they identical? Are, it, it, no. And one, I know a fact. In the other, I have a relationship. Yes? Right? So he's saying that these Jewish leaders have, have been thoroughly acquainted with him from his very first days in Jerusalem. 
um, Hebrew, uh, Romans 11, 12. God has not cast off his people whom he knew beforehand. Did he, was he just aware? Oh, that, that's Israel. Oh, oh. So Gabriel comes in and says, Lord, there's a bunch of people running out around in the wilderness. What is that? And God says, uh, what, what are you talking about? Oh, that's Israel. Is that what it means that he knew them? What does it mean? What are you, what are you thinking about, Terry? That's kind of a silly analogy. Well, I know. The point is that we, we use the word know in two different, significantly different senses. To know a fact and to know a person, and they're not the same. In, the, in knowing a fact, you just know the fact. It's a bare thing that you know. In knowing a person, there's a relationship involved. Uh, when they were wandering around in the desert, um, how did he know them? Because he had known them, he had plans for them, we know about, specifically from the days of Abraham on. Yes? That was in 2000 BC. They're wandering around in the desert as in the 15th century BC. So it's, it's 500 years later, 600 years later. So it wasn't that he looked down through history and saw, oh, Abraham's going to become a great people, I'm going to use them. And so he knew them before. It's that he knew them. He established a relationship with them. Does this make sense to you? Uh, God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Jeremiah chapter 1. What did it mean? Before you were born, I knew you. I, I started a relationship with you. I was planning to use you. All right. Am I making sense to you? So foreknowledge has the same duality that knowledge has. You can be aware of facts before they occur, but not simply aware of people. See, I, I never say, I know Abraham Lincoln, unless I'm doing this illustration. If I say, I know, I knew Abraham Lincoln, what would you say? You're old. I'd say you're really old. You're really a whole lot older. You're carrying your age really well. <laughs> uh, there's no chance of my knowing Abraham Lincoln. But you know who he is. That's right. And I know a lot of facts about him, but I don't know him. When, but so for in English and in Greek, the word know has that same duality. And if I mix the two, then I create problems. Because Jesus is foreknown before God knew there was going to be a Jesus before he was born. Next, yeah, of course he did, but the being born was part of the plan of God. Yes? So the issue is that there are people whom God has entered into a relationship before they are even born. Now the question then is, who are they? What are you thinking, brother? Yeah, I know. Because we, we use that word no in, in ways, and in order to get out of some problems, we, we shift to a different usage. But folks, me, words mean what they mean in context. You can't change the context and have exactly the same meaning of a word, except in science. Then you pretty much have to have the same word all the way through. But, but in normal conversational speech and normal human communication, um, words only words have a range of meaning I, I talked to you about the word run a few weeks ago I think did I mention that to you in Collier's in the Collins English Dictionary and I looked up the word run several months ago you want to know how many senses the word has how many 86 86? 86. Now, it may be that they uh, violated Dawkins Razor here and might, might have made some distinctions where there really wasn't, but it's, in a, it's w well in excess of 60 different senses. My nose runs. I run the copy machine. I, I run the race. Uh, I run at the mouth. I, 
That's yes. why English is so hard. Yes. Well, all, all languages are that way. Um, they, the point is then that I, I am not free to substitute any possible sense of the word run in any possible context. It has to be a sense that fits the context. So if the object known is a thing or a fact, then no means to be cognitively aware that that of, of that fact and be able to state it and discuss it. But if the object that is known is a person, then we're affirming a relationship. And the, the, the pro part, the, the pro, prognosis, prognosis is a good medical word, but prognosis is the, aff- the affirmation of what is going to come before it happens, yes? It's knowledge beforehand, but it's a knowledge of a fact, not of a person. But here it's prognosis of a person. So, at some time in the past, God determined to establish, all we can say because God doesn't have time, uh, it's before, before creation. Name me some be- believers in the Old Testament. Enoch. Enoch. Good, that's real early. Abel. Abel? Good, yeah. Uh, before Abel was born, uh, God set his affection. He, he determined to have a relationship with a group of people that Abel was part of. I would argue that Adam and Eve may well be in that bunch too. In the in the book of Genesis, naming is usually an act of faith in light of the uh, the providential work of God on your behalf. So people who trust God name things and people. So Adam names Eve on the basis of the promise of God. Uh, she will be the the uh, mother of all living. See, so he's responding to the promise of God and names her, and she is. He, that's exactly who she is. Um, the point then is, folks, at some time in the past, prior to the birth of Abel, God set his his affections on a group of people who would be like Abel, people of faith who would worship God in in a in a pleasing way. Does that make sense to you? What are you thinking, Martha? I'm just listening. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so, whom he foreknew, he also did predestine. Uh, this is another difficult word. The word is the word from which we get the word horizon. Um, horizo is a word that means to mark out a boundary, for example. Uh, and, but it's pro horizon, a prior <laughs> marking out of a boundary. Uh, he, he sets out a goal for them, uh, whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to become what? Informed. Yeah. Let me make it even stronger. To have, do you know the word morphe in Greek? Have it, in in um, what is that? Where is that? Uh, who being in the form of Philippians 2 uh, who being in the form of God Morphe okay he's marked marked these people out for a destiny and that destiny is to have the same Morphe uh, as the image of God of the Son of God are, are you with me Symorphos is the word in Greek uh so he's planned for us to be, I say us, he's planned for these people to become like Christ. What are the means he uses to accomplish that? In a fallen world, it's suffering. Uh, so that he might, so, so the goal here is that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Yes? So we've got to be like him in order to achieve God's purposes for Jesus, whom he foreknew. Yes? Uh, and whom he, whom he predestined, he also called... There are five word terms. No. Yeah, five terms. Um, whom, he, whom he predestined, he also called. 
Now we're moving into human experience. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. This is Paul's prayer for the, the Thessalonians at this point. It's actually 13. Uh, we ought to give thanks to God always for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you to be a first fruit for salvation by what, what's the means of choosing them as a first fruit for salvation? Sanctification. Yeah. And yeah, so these people are going to be um, I've lost my place um, they're going to be the first fruit to salvation and the means of that do you have by following for, uh, Second, uh, Second Thessalonians 2.13 yeah <laughs> um, salvation do you have by through. through okay sanctification uh, new king james sanctification of the spirit so non-believers are being sanctified <laughs> notice that faith follows the sanctification yes we're we're chosen by the sanctification of the spirit uh uh, and and faith in the truth. The, there's one preposition for the two nouns there. So by or through. So so where does faith come from? Hearing. Huh? Yeah, that's what we always say. I, what, what, where is it that we're able to even believe? How is it? What what happens to us though? That unbelievers suddenly become believers. The Holy Spirit. The light of the gospel. The Holy Spirit. Um, uh, Philippians one twenty nine. <laughs> you you read it first. Just quietly. Just read it first. No wonder it doesn't read right. Philippians one twenty nine. What does it say? It will suffer for his sake. Yeah. Is that all it says? Granted for Christ's sake. Granted. There are two things, two gifts God has given to us. To believe and suffer. To believe and to suffer. Then folks, the word given there, as I recall, yeah, it is. Is a word that that we yeah granted is good. The idea is it's based on on the word charis, so it's a gift of grace. Uh, so God has given us two gifts. What are you thinking? Well, how could we even even dream of growing to the image of Christ, not knowing suffering? You can't. Well, what I'm concerned about here is faith. Where does faith? What is the origin of faith in us? It's God's work. Um, you don't even have faith apart from the gift of God. This is not what you work up. This is what God has given. It's a gift to us. He has lavished it upon us. He Earlier, he, he's given him the name that's above every name. The uh, Giving him the same word. He has lavished upon him. He's lavished upon us two marvelous gifts. One is believing. It's it's not just that we are granted to believe. That it is believing that is given to us. It's a it's a, a verbal noun in in Greek. So you don't have faith unless God gave you the gift, mm-hmm. and and you need the gift of faith so that you can suffer. What were you thinking, Mark? Well, I'm, you made a comment that I'd like you to unpack that sanctification came before faith. Yeah. That 
I mean, unless they both kind of did this at the same time. <laughs> I always thought faith and sanctification, you believed, and then yeah. you grow and you sanctify, and it's a process. Yeah. Trouble is, Jesus says, I sanctify myself. So um, uh, was he not spiritual enough and had to become more spiritual? So, so sanctification is, is a fundamentally different idea. I'm, I'm on the verge of, of completing my work on sanctification, finally. So I can proceed with Hebrews 2.10 to the next word, pers- perfection, which I've got to define too. So, uh, that word, the Greek, Greek word for that word, first fruits, that come right before he talked about sanctification? I didn't look, yeah. Apple, apple, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Because Strong's defines it as like, like a setting apart. Yeah, that's too that's too literal and doesn't prepositions are the most idiomatic things in any any language. You 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 grew up speaking Spanish and you've had to learn English. Uh, uh, you know that things that work prepositions that work in Spanish don't necessarily work in English and vice versa. So this is the same thing is going on here. Uh, these these words have huge entries in the in the Greek lexicons and so just to take that one thing and say this is the baseline, it, it really isn't. Uh, it, it, they, are, they are the most idiomatic things in any language, and I'm told that they're among the last things that anybody ever masters when they learn a new language. So um, they, the point, though, is then that the Holy Spirit had to begin work in us before we believe, yes? Preparing us for faith. Why did you, when you heard the gospel, did it start suddenly to make sense? You were not a believer, necessarily, but suddenly it started making I've never heard him say it that way before. It makes sense for the first time in my life. Am I, am I reflecting your experience? It's because the Holy Spirit's working in you to take away the blinding effects of sin so that your heart can, you can understand what God is doing and the significance of what Jesus has done. The, so the faith then is the next step. So he works in you to prepare you for even hearing the gospel before you are a believer. And then he gives you the gift of faith so that you may believe. And then so, go, Jim? Yes. Is, is this tied to, to Romans 12, 3? It talks about God has given each man a measure of faith. I don't think so. Um, We'll get there eventually. It may be next January, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, Faith is given to us by God. Yeah, yeah. And it's always interesting to me that among the spiritual gift, I'm sorry, the uh, fruit of the Spirit, and it may be right, I, I looked at it again today just to just to see it, but the last of the of the of the fruit is is faith, faithfulness. Um, but in Greek, it's simply pistis, and and faithfulness is a legitimate translation of that word. Um, is that that probably is the sense that it has in Ephesians five, but but I wonder if it's not also faith. Um, so, uh, so verse thirty, whom he, those for whom he marked out a destiny, he has called, and those he called, he also justified, and those that he justified, he also glorified. How many of the glorified were justified? Now you've heard this before. <laughs> All of them. How many of the justified were called? How many of the called were predestined? How many of the of the predestined were foreknown? Before the days of Abel. Okay, so God has a plan that sta- that that begins in eternity past and it extends to eternity future. He has a plan for you that began in eternity past, extends to eternity future. And he's working out his plan, knowing all the contingencies, all the possible threats that you will undergo. And he has worked out a plan such that you will survive them and you will come to glorification. Otherwise, Jesus will not be the first one among many brothers. 
Are you with me here? If it were left to us, we'd never get there. This is perfect for these people are about to face the church in Rome. Yeah. They were about to be turned. Yeah, very soon. Human torches. That's right. Very soon. Yeah. Um, this is still in the 50s mm-hmm. when he writes this book, but yeah, um, yeah it's coming. Uh, what shall we say then? Verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? Amen. I would say the world, the flesh, and the devil are against us. <laughs> uh, um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, but they're not. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil can do their best, and all that will happen is that we'll be, we will be conformed to Christ. All that can happen. All that can happen. Well, but you see, the only, my point is, the only outcome, none of their plans can succeed. That's my point. See, of all the plans that they have, the only thing that can happen is that we we will become like Christ. Jesus will get the glory. Uh, If God is for us, who's against us? Um, he who gave his own son I'm sorry he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also give us all things lavish upon us it's that same word give here from charis in Greek to uh, grace he will lavish upon us all things Uh, folks we mentioned this earlier in chapter 8 we are joint heirs with Christ we don't inherit a percentage of the inheritance. We, pres- we inherit the whole estate with Jesus. Um, when, uh, when if, if and when king, uh, Prince William becomes king of England, uh, as, as long as those Windsors live, Charles may live another 20 years, who knows, but... Um, uh, if if William ever becomes king, if he had little children, by that time he may have grandchildren. Yes, and the toddlers will have run of the place. Yes, mm-hmm. to some degree they'll they'll have nannies and so forth. But there's hardly any place they can't go. Can you imagine a a, a, a prince, a boy, or a princess, a girl, wandering around Windsor Castle and coming to the throne room? And thinking, I'm going to go sit on the throne. <laughs> Do you suppose that's ever happened in the history of the of the monarchy? Of course, of course it has. Of course. Folks, we have run of the we have run of the estate. Um, he, uh, um, verse. So, who's going to bring a charge against us? It's not going to be God. God's the one who's who's already declared us righteous. God's the judge. We we are, as it were, standing before the bar, and the um, prosecuting attorney is bringing all the evidence of our sin, and it will be a stench in heaven to hear all the evidence of our sin. But God is the judge, and He must rule all that evidence out of order because the verdict is already in. The verdict is you're righteous. How righteous? That we might receive the righteousness of Christ in Him. Be the righteousness of Christ in Him. Furthermore, verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Our defense attorney, Christ Jesus, who died, uh, even more, who rose from the dead, who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Folks, we've got the Holy Spirit praying for us that the suffering that we undergo will produce the likeness of Christ in us. We've got Jesus praying for us that the suffering we undergo will produce the righteousness, the, the, the likeness of Christ in us. 
at the court, the prosecuting attorney, after presenting all his evidence, can appeal to the defense attorney, and he will say, no, I died. The penalty's paid. The statute of limitations ran out. The statute of limitations (laughs) has run out. Um, So who shall separate us? You have who in your text, verse 35? Um, That's a legitimate translation. I don't think it's the right one here. Uh, Given the answer, it should be what? Uh, And I want to get to this. Um, Now, what shall separate us from the love of God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or trouble? Look, watch the screen here. Uh, shall tribulation or trouble or persecution, famine or nakedness, peril or sword? Um, the list is the list of Old Testament covenant curses. If Israel violates the covenant, this is what's going to happen to them. Tribulation appears in Deuteronomy 28.52. Same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Trouble, same word, Deuteronomy 28.53. Both together in the same order in Deuteronomy 28, 55, and 57. Persecution appears in Deuteronomy 28, 22, and 45. Famine or nakedness appear together in Deuteronomy 28, 48. Peril is not mentioned. Well, oh, I, I can't. Uh, what I can do is this, however. I'm sorry. I, somehow I lost control of the of the thing. That's is that better? Yeah. All right. Um, the term peril doesn't occur. What has happened here? Oy vey. Here. Um, peril is not mentioned in the text. I've got to let me make a quick change, and it won't take an instant to do it. Here. Uh, it's not mentioned in the covenant curses, but we may see it as a general summary of all. I mean, if, if you read Deuteronomy 28, it's this trouble, danger is everywhere. And finally, sword is mentioned in Leviticus 26, 36, and 37. Also, the covenant curses. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Critically important for understanding the Old Testament. You, you will understand the prophets better when you know Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Everything that showed Israel they were separated from the love of God is now no longer that. These are the means of producing the likeness of Christ in us. Um, so uh, what shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or or, or persecution or famine or nakedness or or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are put to death all day long we are counted like sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things King James says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us why? how? Because we have the Holy Spirit who's enabling us to live by faith. He's enabled our faith from its beginning, from our faith's beginning, and He will not stop. My task then is to get to know God, the power of God, so that I may I may trust Him in the midst of times when I think I can't face this any longer. I can't make it another day. I, I mentioned, I think, last week a video about Johnny Erickson saying I wake up in the morning and I think the pain is so bad I don't see how I can face it for another day but father you say that I am able to or that rather that by by your grace I ha- I am able to do this so I'm going to take it one more day and trust you and, and trust your promise that's all we got the promises of God but that's all we need uh, so what we what we must what we must learn from all of this is, folks, we we are destined for trouble, but the trouble has an outcome we cannot now understand. But He's given us enough information to be able to say, I I must either 
trust his plan or I, may, I must trust my pain. If I trust my pain, all I can do is suffer. If I trust his plan, then he will give me the strength to endure it. You're going to endure it one way or the other. So why not endure it trusting the promises of your God? So, well, it's time to stop. Um, I'm, I'm sorry we didn't finish chapter 8, but uh, we'll finish it quickly in two weeks. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, you've called us by faith, and you've called us to live by faith. Um, the only thing that we can do is trust you because there's so much that happens in our lives we cannot understand. There are the things that we would choose and feel cheated when we don't get them. We feel grief because they don't come to pass. But you have ordained our lives and and so ordered them that we will become like Jesus. I'm thankful that you know our weakness. If you didn't understand our weakness, I would despair. But you know our weakness, Father. So when, when we can't remember any one of your promises in the midst of hardship, give us the grace to know that you remember your promises. And we can trust that. Uh, Father, hard times are ahead for all of us in any number of different ways, and you model them just for us to make us just like Christ in just the way we need to be so that he will be most honored. But in those hard times, turn our, turn our thoughts back to you and to your word and your plan and the things you've been doing and remind us that... that you have included us in a plan that strange, stretches from eternity past to eternity future. And that plan is so glorious, we cannot now understand it. So give us hope in the midst of our dread, anxiety, pain. For Jesus' sake, amen.